0: Thank you for joining me for today's BeastWatch News Update. News from the Internet's most comprehensive Bible prophecy news website, beastwatchnews.com. I'm Kimberly Rogers-Brown. Welcome to Part 2 of this series on understanding the Gog-Magog War. Last week, I proposed to you that Gog will be after a spoil, and that spoil could be Israel's newfound oil. If that is what Gog wants, he won't be happy with just the Golan's oil reserve, but will want the Tamar and Leviathan natural gas fields as well. The oil and all the other spoil will be Gog's excuse for attacking the political state of Israel. Whoever the western Gog turns out to be, He may also be angry because Israel will have stopped being his patsy. It may be that once a peace deal is made by Gog, the U.S. president, between Israel and the Palestinians, that Israel will decide on no more war. So, when the U.S., U.N., EU or other bully of Israel decides Israel should go drop a bomb somewhere else in the Middle East. Israel will say no. Perhaps it will be Israel's no that will anger Gog so that he comes to take Israel's oil, natural gas, and most of all, Jerusalem. To control Jerusalem. That is what Reuben wants That is what Gog wants for Reuben, as you will see. The coming war between Gog and the political state of Israel has the same basis as the war between Esau and Jacob. If you have listened to my teaching called the Esau Effect, you have heard me say that Ishmael's authority as a patriarch and leader of a biblical house was usurped by Esau. I have said that nowhere in Scripture do we find a house of Ishmael, even though great promises of nationhood were given to him by Yahweh. This is because Esau married into Ishmael's family and took over as patriarch. Thus, when Esau wants to take the reins, he will take both Israel and Ishmael. The Esau-Jacob war is a birthright war just as the Gog Magog and political state of Israel war is a birthright war. Reuben, who has a coalition of nations that are from the house of Israel, against Judah. Stay tuned to hear a very important insight and conclusion at the end of this broadcast. Now, Part 2 of Gog Magog Revisited One of the things prophecy teachers stress is the peace and safety or peace and security issue that will come to visit Israel in the end of days. First Thessalonians 5.3 says, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. I believe this verse in Thessalonians is referring to Ezekiel 38.11. Israel will have been pulled back from the brink of war. The citizens there will have felt the strain and stress of wondering if war was imminent for months or years. After being pulled back from that brink, they will be breathing a sigh of relief, just as Gog Magog attacks. Verse 12 gives us further insight into the motivation of Gog Magog for this attack. It is to get a spoil. What spoil? Well, let's think for a moment what Israel now has that the EU is fast running out of because of sanctions against Iran. Oil yes the eu nations get waivers for importing oil from iran but their needs are not being totally supplied with the new world orders agenda of pushing up the price of oil through these sanctions on iran The shutting down of the Prudhoe Bay Liberty Rig, Iran having shut down a major refinery recently because of the sanctions, and possible war with Iran in the Straits of Hormuz, the EU is going to find it increasingly difficult to stay supplied with enough oil. The other spoil, the real spoil, is what we'll talk about next there's an even bigger reason for this coming war that no one I know of has ever spoken of I'm going to talk about it right now the rest of Ezekiel describes the war and its aftermath the scope of this teaching is to help you understand the reasons for the Gog Magog war to do that we have to return to Genesis to understand what is happening at the end And we must look into the family dynamics of two families. The first family we will study is that of Noah. In five verses, Genesis 5.32, Genesis 6.10, Genesis 7.13, Genesis 19.18, and Genesis 9.23, we read Shem's name first in the genealogy of Noah's sons, yet Japheth was the oldest of the three Genesis 10:21. unto Shem also the father of all the children of Eber the brother of Japheth the elder even to him were children born Japheth was the elder so why is Shem always listed first we know that Jehovah has repeated his pattern of showing us That the natural firstborn cannot be the inheritor of the kingdom. The firstborn of the kingdom is not the natural firstborn, but the spiritual firstborn. Yet, Yehovah gives us example after example of the natural firstborn losing the firstborn birthright to a younger sibling. That is exactly what happened in the case of Noah's sons. There are no details on how this happened or what caused Noah to make this decision. However, it is Jehovah's pattern. The credentials for the son who attains the firstborn status is the one who shows the greatest spiritual maturity. In fact, tradition holds that Shem was Melchizedek. I believe Shem was a priest in the order of Melchizedek but that Yeshua was actually Melchizedek but to qualify to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek one must be spiritually mature the definition of spiritually mature means obedient to Jehovah's instructions in the case of Cain and Abel we see that Abel was more spiritually mature and obedient. In the case of Ishmael and Isaac, we understand that the firstborn blessing went to Isaac because the seed that created him came through the cutting, the circumcision. Ishmael did not. In the case of Esau and Jacob, we see that it was Jacob who was the spiritually mature and obedient son. Jacob was a man of the tents, A colloquialism meaning he studied Torah in the case of Reuben his loss was because of his sinful behavior with Jacob's concubine Bilhah this was akin to committing incest and worse so Shem was awarded the firstborn blessing over Japheth that had to sting no matter the reason and Ham is along with Japheth for the ride. Ham has not really had all that much to do with Japheth, since they took for parts unknown to spread out and multiply. Yes, there have been occasions for interaction, but not the close association that Magog has with Gog. But Ham has his own grudge. He is the middle son, But scripture refers to him as the younger son, and his son was cursed, while Shem was extolled. Let's go to Genesis chapter 9 and start at verse 23. And Eshem and Japheth took a garment, and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backwards, and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his younger son had done to him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. This was when Ham assaulted his father in some way that we don't understand today. There are many traditions about this, but we truly do not know the details. Noah called Ham his younger son when he awoke. The Hebrew word used to implicate Ham as younger is katan. One of its uses is young or younger but its primary use is as a diminutive in quantity, size, number age or importance. Noah demeaned Ham for what he had done and rightly so. How we treat our parents is directly related to our relationship with Jehovah. Noah was probably embarrassed and angry, so he may have called Ham small-minded, or a child, or even idiot. The diminutive was bad enough, but the curse was what would have given Ham his grudge against Shem. Usually, the person who commits the crime gets the curse, but Noah went straight for Ham's son. In the ancient Middle East, children were precious treasures. One did not mess with them. To have your son cursed on your behalf would have been the absolute worst thing Ham could ever have experienced. Notice that it was Ham's youngest son, Canaan, that was cursed. This is a permanent reference to Ham's diminutive status. This one will never go away. It forever marks him via Canaan as the idiot of the family. We have other details about Reuben. He lost his birthright to his younger brothers Judah and Joseph. For a sin against his father. Genesis 35:22. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. This is the only verse that even mentions such a thing until we get to chapter 49 when Jacob gives blessings to his children just before dying and it mentions it just in passing such a thing is very important so why does the Bible not spend more time on this Genesis 49 4 unstable as water you shall not excel because you went up to your father's bed you defiled it You went up to my couch There is a lot of speculation About these two verses A lot has been written about it It is shrouded in mystery Like I said Until the end of time When Jehovah's people Will begin to see What was set in motion Back then That does not come to a head Until the end of days Now suffice it to say that one of the attributes of Reuben is to usurp authority the act of taking Bilhah was to usurp authority this will be the same act that gets Reuben into trouble with Jehovah at the Gog Magog war because Reuben lost the birthright and later witnessed it being given to Judah and Joseph he necessarily had a problem with Judah. Jealousy and revenge did not skip over Reuben in this matter, just because Scripture does not reveal it. Imagine if this happened to you. Reuben was no less human and no less opportunistic and greedy for power than those New World Order people, some of whom descend from him. There is an interesting word conundrum found in the book of Revelation regarding Gog. Revelation 20, verse 8 And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. This is the only place where the phrase Gog and Magog is used in the whole Bible. I searched every translation in Esau to find this out. The interesting thing about this phrase is the word and. It's translated from the Greek word kai. Now, if you're like me and believe that every word in Scripture was put there by Jehovah, even though we know people have changed His words in many instances, then you will understand the significance of this word kai. It means having a copulative and sometimes also a cumulative force. Did you get that? It is related to copulation, having a copulative force. The Greek word that we translate into English as and actually has something to do with copulation and Reuben. Sexual sin was the beginning of Reuben's downfall. The connotation of this will follow him all the way to the end of the millennium. Next, we come to the story of when the brothers sold Joseph into slavery. You know, they saw him coming and were not pleased. In Genesis 37 verse 22 it says, And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come to his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes, and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content." Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned to the pit, and, behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned to his brethren and said, The child is not... And I, whither shall I go? Somewhere in this story, Reuben left. Even the book of Jasher does not explain where Reuben went. From the text, we understand that he returned to find the pit empty. This means he left at some point. Rashi gives us two possible explanations. Number one, it was his turn to go and serve Jacob, The brothers apparently had a roster and it was Reuben's turn so he was going back to take care of Jacob and two Reuben was busy doing teshuvah or repentance with sackcloth and fasting for the sin of interfering with his father's marital life the brothers were eating remember so Reuben probably would have wanted to get away from the temptation if he was fasting. Regardless, Reuben would have come to understand that the sale of Joseph to the Midianites was Judah's doing. Look at what he says. Where shall I go? I believe this is the reason that Gog later went somewhere. This phrase is a prophecy regarding Gog. You see, Reuben was already in enough trouble over the concubine issue but now a favored son of his father was gone and it was his responsibility it was not his fault but it was his responsibility he was the oldest he was the heir to the double portion to be the kinsman redeemer to take care of the family and he failed in that moment Reuben must have realized he had lost everything, and perhaps in his mind later, the reason Jacob passed him over for the firstborn blessing was because of Joseph more than the sin with Bilhah, although Jacob made it plain that it was because of Bilhah. But now Reuben has good reason to bear a grudge against Judah. After the concubine problem and the loss of Joseph that would have been counted against him by Jacob, comes another blow, the final blessings. It may have been that since Reuben had repented of the sin with Bilhah and Jacob eventually got Joseph back, that he perhaps thought he might get the firstborn blessing after all. Even Joseph had said his ordeal was divinely ordained for a purpose. Surely Jacob could forgive him and let him keep his place as the family firstborn. But no, that would not happen. Genesis forty nine one, And Jacob called to his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which will befall you in the last days. Take notice of that. Gather yourselves together, and hear, you sons of Jacob, and hearken to Israel, your father. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, you shall not excel, because you went up to your father's bed. You defiled it. He went up to my couch. Now let's skip down to verse 8 Judah, you are he whom your brethren shall praise Your hand shall be in the neck of your enemies Your father's children shall bow down before you Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey My son, thou art gone up He stooped down, he couched as a lion And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Binding his foal to the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk." Can you imagine the sting of this? Losing everything he felt belonged to him, to his brother Judah. Later on, we will see that Reuben's descendants continue in their careless attitude for all of their brethren, not just Judah. The Reubenites did not want to cross into Israel when the time came. Numbers 32 verse 1 says... Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle, and when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that, behold, the place was a place for cattle. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the princes of the congregation, saying, Verse 5, Wherefore they said, If we have found grace in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall you sit here? And wherefore discourage you the heart of the children of Israel from going over to the land which the Lord has given them? Skip down to verse 14. And behold, you are risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men, to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. For if you turn away from after him, he will yet again leave them in the wilderness, and you shall destroy all this people. And they came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will go ready armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place, and our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on yonder side, Jordan, or forward, because our inheritance is fallen to us on this side, Jordan, eastward. Thank you for listening to the Jerusalem Report on Beast Watch News. Full news coverage with a Hebraic perspective of the headlines fulfilling Bible prophecy. Remember to financially and prayerfully support Beast Watch News for keeping you up to date. Send your donation to Beast Watch News today. It takes money to operate this ministry, and your help is much appreciated. And Moses said to them, If you will do this thing, if you will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Go down to Numbers thirty two twenty nine. And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben will pass with you over Jordan every man armed to battle before the Lord, and the land shall be subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead for a possession. But if they will not pass over with you armed, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord hath said to your servants, So will we do. We will pass over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan, that the possession of our inheritance on this side Jordan may be ours. And Moses gave to them, even to the children of Gad, and to the children of Reuben, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sion, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land, with the cities thereof in the coasts, even the cities of the country round about. Now, I want to turn your attention back up here to verse 19. He says, Because the inheritance is fallen to us on this side, Jordan, eastward, in other teachings that I've done and that Brad Scott has done and Bill Cloud, uh, many of us teach that the East is the place where the trouble comes from with Islam Uh, and so what this is is a prophecy here that Reuben is going to align himself eastward who is the EU aligning itself with today Islam. The reason for that is because EU, the UN, NATO, all of those secret organizations of the New World Order and the Vatican, those are all the whore of Babylon. And the whore of Babylon rides the Islamic beast in order to try to control it. And then I want to turn your attention back down here to verse 33 where it talks about the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan. Many people have uh, said that Gog and Og may have similar names because perhaps Gog was named in some way for the kingdom of Og where the tribe of Manasseh went to live but what really happened here is Moses lambasted Reuben for his attitude the comments Moses made were reminiscent of bringing up those old wounds for instance Numbers 32 verse 6 where it says and Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben shall your brethren go to war and shall you sit here like you did when Joseph was put in the pit? And then in Numbers 32, 7, it says, And wherefore discourage you the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? You lost your blessing, Reuben. Do you want to keep the rest of the family from getting theirs too? And then the coup de gras In verse 23, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Oh, yeah, Reuben knows all too well how sin finds you out. And now, after all that rubbing of salt into the Reubenite wounds, not only does he have to go to Israel to fight on behalf of the brothers, But those brothers include one called Judah. I'm sure at this point, the Reubenites were stinging on behalf of their forefather. So, we have little detail why Shem got the firstborn blessing over Japheth, but we have more detail on why Judah got the firstborn blessing over Reuben and with the tribe of Reuben's history of not caring for the other brethren basically being selfish, perhaps we are getting a glimpse of the real spoil that Gog and Magog are after when they attack Israel. They are coming back for the firstborn blessing, and the only way to get it is to kill Judah not only is the firstborn blessing an issue between Esau and Jacob it's an issue between the brothers Shem and Japheth and between Reuben and Judah that's the primary reason from Gog and Magog's point of view for there to be a war with Judah but what about Jehovah's point of view well, while Japheth and Ham did go forth as commanded, Reuben, however, had a descendant that went forth unapproved. No one commanded Gog to leave Israel and move north. And Jehovah has said he will bring his people back even if it means they are kicking and screaming. I believe the Gog-Magog war is Jehovah's punishment to Gog and his descendants for leaving the land on his own accord and not returning and for trying to usurp Yehovah's authority in the matter of who gets the birthright Jehovah will draw him back Gog won't come back on his own so Jehovah will make him come back but now Yehovah is angry and Gog is going to be punished magog has hooked up with gog because of their mutual cause of the birthright so magog will receive gogs intended punishment you see the Lord addresses gog not magog in Ezekiel 38 verses 2 and 3 it's gog that the Lord is after not magog magog is only in the way he's only along with gog for the ride and because he has a mutual cause with gog this is not just a political war that's coming that somehow comes to fruition in the end of days this is about the same agenda that esau has in fact The reason the European Union whore of Babylon is riding the beast of Islam is because that's where Esau is and Gog wants to keep Esau from getting the blessing. The EU has to ride the beast in order to control it long enough to get their European king on the throne of David. The Muslims, too, have their candidate for that position. Of the two candidates, only one will actually become the man that stands his image on Temple Mount and declares himself to be the Messiah. Gog Magog will trigger the Great Tribulation. Now, there will be a second Gog-Magog war, as described in Revelation chapter 20. I believe this war happens twice. You see, Yeshua is coming to earth to cause the earth to keep Shabbat. At the time of his return, he will set up his kingdom and that kingdom will never end. But he will have interrupted Hasatan in the midst of his plans. And Yeshua will throw Hasatan into the pit, kicking and screaming until the end of the millennium. Then we will see this war return again. There will be those in the kingdom who are called heathen, who will hook up with Hasatan and Gog Magog in the end. Zechariah 14.18 And if the family of Egypt go not up, and come not that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. That Hebrew word for heathen is goy. It's Strong's 14.71 It's translated better as Gentile. There are many who believe the Millennial Kingdom will only have those who believed in Yeshua before His return. I believe we have evidence to the contrary. During the Millennium, there will be Gentiles, or Goi who have never made a declaration about belief in Yeshua or have an affinity for His covenant. Some of those folks will defy him, even in the kingdom. This is why he needs an iron rod to rule. Moses' wooden staff will not be strong enough. This time it will be iron. Revelation 19.15 And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Not everyone on earth will be a Hebrew during the millennium, and will need to be ruled with the heaviest of hands. They will be punished for their defiance all through the millennium, as it says in Zechariah 14.18. The Lord said even that He will take people from among the Gentiles during the millennium to make them priests. Isaiah 66, starting at verse 16. For by fire and by His sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Now, by fire and his sword tells us that this is at the beginning when, uh, of the millennium when he returns to fight on behalf of his people. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the garden behind one tree in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse, shall be consumed together, says the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them unto the nations, to Tarshish, Pull and lude that draw the bow to Tubal and Javan to the isles afar off, that have not heard of my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles." And they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all nations, upon horses, and in chariots, and in litters, and upon mules, and upon swift beasts, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And I will also take of them for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, says the Lord. Now we see that there will be openly defiant people in the kingdom, but Yeshua will have his Shabbat rest. The earth will have its Shabbat rest. Yeshua's people will have their Shabbat rest until the end of the millennium when he will open the bottomless pit to let Hasatan go forth to gather those who continued in their defiance. These will be gathered once again and once again they will be Gog's descendants, Magog's and his brother's descendants and many people with them just as it says in Ezekiel 38.6 The pattern will not change any more than individual words spoken by Yehovah will change. But we understand that this final Gog Magog war will end it all. Revelation 20 verses 9 and 10 And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever. Now you know that the elements of this war come from antiquity, all the way back to when the patriarchs of the tribes were young men, and Reuben was in charge as the firstborn. The loss of his place, which went to Judah, was a blow that his descendants carried into the future on his behalf. This Gog Magog War will end the animosity between Reuben and Judah will be the final battle of the 2900 year old civil war between the houses of Judah and Israel and the start of the Great Tribulation The companion text to Ezekiel 38 and 39 is Zechariah 12 and 13 at the end of ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine Yahweh says he will pour out his spirit on the house of Israel so ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine are this battle from the point of view of the house of israel ezekiel thirty nine twenty nine says Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of the Lord God." Zechariah 12 and 13 are this battle viewed from the house of Judah it is in Zechariah 12 where the house of Judah understands who Yeshua is during this battle and this is the place where Yahweh says he will pour out his spirit on the house of Judah Zechariah twelve ten And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications and they shall mourn upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is for his firstborn. But the understanding doesn't stop there preachers and rabbis want you to believe that Gog is a Russian army but Gog is of Persian origin the Persians and their allies that attack Israel don't come as allies of Gog but as both Gog's and the Jews enemy because Gog representing the house of Israel attacking the Jews once again and the Jews are brothers Gog the Reubenites the house of Israel and the Jews are brothers and of the same kingdom of Yahweh the Persians ancient Amalek and modern day Iran and its allies want to kill all 12 tribes they will take advantage of the Gog battle to simply put an end to all 12 tribes together in one place in Israel where the two fighting brothers will be attacked by the outside force of Amalek, Iran and its allies and the Russians I also now believe that it is possible that the Persians Iran which is the king of the north might have an anti-messiah in the running that both Jews and Christians could accept there are now Jews holding public office in Iran as has been reported and the links provided in prior Beast Watch News reports not only that but I have recently come to believe that the anti-messiah from the line of Solomon will be named Yeshua that was a popular name when Yahweh's Yeshua was born and it is popular in Israel now Christians will simply rename him Jesus I think it's possible just saying And right on time, Russia has clarified its position about Israel maintaining control of the Golan Heights. This public disagreement over the future of the Golan Heights comes following a setback in Israel-Russian ties. That was triggered by last month's Syrian downing of a Russian intelligence plane, which Moscow blamed on Israel, and Russia's decision to supply Syria with S-300 advanced anti-aircraft missile batteries that limit the IAF's maneuverability in Syrian skies. On Monday, Netanyahu, speaking at the dedication of a restored 1,500-year-old synagogue on the Golan Heights, said, As long as it is dependent on me, the Golan will remain under Israeli sovereignty, otherwise we will get Iran and Hezbollah on the banks of the Kinneret. Netanyahu added, I know that Russian President Vladimir Putin understands my commitment to Israel's security, and I know he also understands the importance I attribute to the Golan Heights. We are witnessing ruthless barbarity across the border with Syria and ongoing attempts by Iran and Hezbollah to entrench there. We will stand strong against them, Netanyahu said. We are thwarting their attempts to establish in Syria and will continue operating with determination to prevent them from transferring advanced weapons to Hezbollah. I will discuss the Golan Heights issue with my upcoming meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin, Netanyahu said. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said on Wednesday that recognizing the illegally annexed Golan Heights without the approval of the UN would constitute a violation of the existing accords, according to Sputnik News. Lavrov made his remarks after Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu addressed the Golan Heights issue following Moscow's delivery of the S-300 anti-aircraft missile system to Syria. And in the meantime, Debka reports that Russia is also moving three battalion sets of 24 S-300 air defense missiles to Syria to be operated by Iranian teams. for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of day's Bible prophecy